0: Hi, it's Mark Zinkowitz. I am at the National Association of Plant Breeders Annual Meeting in Ames, Iowa. I sat down today with Andrew Horgan. He is a graduate student at Texas A&M University and a 2022 NAPB Borlaug Scholar. We chatted about his work researching fruit and how a failed coffee startup taught him how to forge ahead in business. Here's our chat. Well, thank you, Andy, for sitting down with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. What's a little-known fact about you that people might be surprised to learn? Well, um,
1: so I've you know grew up in Texas, and I lived up in the Northwest for a while. And even though you know I lived around mountains and everything for for a while, my one of my favorite Places to be is the desert, <laughs> which is odd, and people will usually say, Why? And uh, maybe this comes from my um, nerdy plant science tendencies, but I think the looking at how life thrives in the desert is very, very cool. And you see the sunset, and then life just sprouts out of, you know, under rocks, out of holes, under leaves, and everything, and it's just fascinating to see. Um, how things can survive and do survive in such extreme areas. So I, I don't know. I've always sort of had a interest in the desert, <laughs> which is which is interesting, I think. But
0: now you're currently a second-year Ph.D. student at Texas A&M in the Department of Horticultural Science. Can you trace your journey for us? How you got into this whole plant breeding thing and and why you wanted to do it?
1: Yeah. Well, I guess to start. Um, biology was the worst grade I made in high school so I never thought I would be a a biologist in any form or fashion but um, at the same time I think that was one of the classes that challenged me the most. I had a very good um, biology teacher and um, I think at an early age that sort of set an interest um, in the world of biology. I also love the outdoors and so the the interest to plant life was kind of uh, natural. the draw to that because I did love the outdoors and I, you know, I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> you know, I, I was as a kid I was told I asked too many questions. So I guess that sort of scientist nature was there from the beginning. But um, in college I took a class, I believe my sophomore year, on fungus, and um, I was expecting it to be a very boring class because it's just a class on mold and, and fungus. Turned out being Probably one of the interesting classes I took in college, because I realized I had a very good professor, and I le- I realized that something seemingly boring, and um, something that nobody thinks about, can actually be fascinating if you look closely enough at it. Uh, and then we start seeing actually the impact that something like mold and fungus has had on our, you know, that, you know, brewing and fermentation and you know, mushrooms that we eat all the time, you know, moldy cheese. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ways that things, that mold has impacted us. Anyways, and so that got me very interested in the world of research. And so I, I reached out to the professor and he got me connected um, with a lab at Texas A&M where I was doing my undergraduate degree. Um, So I started doing research as an undergraduate Uh, and I fell in love with it. And then I, I applied for graduate school and I ended up going to Washington State University. Um, I got a master's uh, with the wheat breeding program up there, and I worked with I studied um, freezing tolerance and and winter wheat. And after that, I uh, got connected with um, Dr. Amit Dingra, who's now my PI, Um, and I got a position at Texas A&M to work uh, with him in collaboration um, with uh, Professor Jim Giovannoni up at Cornell at the Boyce Thompson Institute, who's done a lot of work with um, tomato ripening. And so now I'm studying tomatoes. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of the overall view of how I got to where I am now. Um, you know, of course, I could talk about that for hours, but you don't want to hear that. <laughs> so that's the that's summary of kind of how I got here.
0: Now, your research aims to further understand the genetic and physiological processes that regulate fruit firmness, cell wall degradation and ripening parameters in horticultural crops. Now, in layman's terms, what exactly are you trying to figure out and why is it important?
1: I think this is a, it's a field of study that most people can connect with and that's why I like it. So specifically, we're working with heirloom tomatoes and we're trying to figure out how can we prolong the shelf life by inhibiting um, fruit softening. And fruit softening occurs for various reasons, but one of the major kind of driving factors is cell wall degradation. When the cells start breaking down, um, the fruit becomes more um, liquidy, right? That's why when you leave a tomato on the shelf for too long, or you start seeing bruises, the dark spots, they're really juicy, they're liquidy, it's because the cell walls are breaking and the cytosol, the inside of the cell is being released. And and that causes a lot of disease, it causes, it ruins the flavor and the texture. And uh, But the way that I explain it to people is, it's, it's like if you've grown a tomato in your backyard, or you bought a nice heirloom tomato at a farmer's market, they taste so much better than what you would buy at, I won't say any specific grocery store, but a large grocery store chain. Um, The type of tomatoes that you might buy there, which are very firm and hard, um, don't have a lot of flavor. Um, But yeah, those garden grown tomatoes or these heirloom types um, have so much flavor. And so what we're trying to do is we're looking at these garden type, these heirloom tomatoes, and what we're trying to do is, uh, using some gene editing technology, we're trying to slow down the process of cell wall degradation or um, you know, fruit softening and um, cell death. And so that's kind of what we're doing from a 10,000 foot view, is modify a few of the ripening pathways to give heirloom tomatoes a longer shelf life. So that, hopefully, someday
0: down the road,
1: we can start finding heirloom tomatoes on the shelf Instead of um, what we have now
0: now you hope to use your education and experiences to help advance the nutrition and economic return of small-scale horticultural production with a focus on developing regions and what draws you to focusing on that specifically
1: If I've learned anything about the potential of horticulture, of course the potential is the same with you know large-scale commercial production there's you know there's a lot of room for large companies and, you know, uh, there's, you know, room for everybody. But with horticulture, you can produce quite a bit of fruit as far as, you know, um, economic return on very small scales. And so, you know, in developing regions or, you know, in a lot of places, even in America, I was talking with somebody yesterday who said that they know people in the Seattle area that um, produce enough to survive on 10 acres. You know, they have deals with local uh, schools where they provide you know, local public schools, all their fruits and vegetables. And so there's a lot you can do with small-scale production in horticulture. And there's a lot of places um, both globally but also in our country that don't have currently a lot of ways to utilize the land that they have. And I think that there's also a driving interest currently um, with underutilized crops so crops that aren't necessarily grown like apples or oranges or tomatoes, but stuff that's more um, specialty crop that can be grown in odd places like um, prickly pear, you know, or juju bee. But there's a lot of potential for new room and new kind of, I don't know, pumping some new energy into the industry, but also there's a lot of room for uh, small scale production. And I think that there's some, there's some great examples I've heard of um, about Peru also, um, how they use, you know, horticultural production to drive economic growth. And that completely, drastically changed um, a lot of developing regions. And so um, that's what kind of draws me to the small scale horticultural production is the relational impact that you can have on individuals. Um, And I love talking to people. And so I want to be around people and I want to talk to farmers. And so that's kind of where I've settled on that sort of Field of horticulture,
0: and what's next for you as you continue to work on your PhD? Where do you see yourself going from here?
1: Um, so I've always had sort of uh, goals of being an entrepreneur. Um, I already have one failed startup, so I wear that badge with honor. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I I see myself starting uh, starting my own company. Um, I work with uh, so my my PI, Dr. Amit Dingra. He is um, very involved in the entrepreneurship program at Texas A&M, and they're getting a new um, kind of incubator program going within uh, within our department, uh, partnering with the business school. So there's a lot of really good resources that I have right now, or that are developing for me to be able to do that. And so that's what exactly that looks like. I have no idea. Um, I would love to get involved in um, underutilized crops. Uh, using those for small-scale horticultural production in places like the Southwest where if you're not drilling for oil then <laughs> there's not a whole lot of money you can make off your land um, but what I see is an empty slate there's a lot of potential there's a lot of room p- for potential agriculture if we can find the right cropping systems to integrate into those regions uh, and I know that that's a very difficult and complex <laughs> thing to approach but I feel like I'm, I'm preparing myself as much as I can to do something difficult and complex. What was the startup? Well, it, it involved coffee. <laughs> um, I also love coffee. It's uh, for the similar reasons that I am very interested in, you know, small-scale horticultural production. Um, you know, a lot of the specialty grade coffee is grown on, you know, very small, um, you know, farms. So 5, 10, 15 acres. Um, and so that's something that has always interested, well, not always, uh, but I'd say in the past decade has been a, a big interest to me is, is the coffee industry because of how many people it takes to produce the coffee that we drink every morning. You know, um, like somebody handpicked every bean that we roast or every bean that we grind up in the morning, somebody handpicked it, unless you're looking at massive. But if you're buying, you know, specialty grade good coffee, that was handpicked. And I just, I, I learned that a while back and it just blew my mind. Um so the business was was um trying to it was related to selling specialty grade coffee um kind of creating a a um centralized location for specialty coffee roasters where, where I was where I was living up in the northwest but um that was also towards the beginning of covid and some you know, I learned some lessons as far as a you know some business lessons I learned um because you know my my training is in plant biology (laughs) and so it was good it it definitely wasn't a waste of time Um, you know you learn a lot from your mistakes and I I learned a lot moving forward and um, the second iteration of whatever company I make I'm definitely using all the lessons I learned to make sure those same mistakes don't happen or I put myself in a better position than I was last time so um, yeah it was good I'm glad I did it learned a lot and I still think it's a good idea and I might give it a shot again later down the road but um, yeah that's that's kind of generally speaking what it was.
0: Before I let you go, we never did get to this yet. What is your favorite fruit and why? Okay,
1: well, since we're on the topic of, you know, underutilized crops and deserts and stuff like that, I'll have to say prickly pear. And maybe not because it's the best tasting, but because it's the most interesting. You know, you have incredible droughts happening in Texas right now. I don't know if you're up to date, but I mean... On what's happening in a lot of areas in the Southwest, but we're having some of the hottest weather we've ever had. We hit a record this year in College Station for hottest temperature recorded, um, and so but you have these plants that are growing out of the side of limestone cliffs, and they're still producing fruit in one of the hottest years we've ever had. And I just think that's that's fascinating, and it's also prickly pear is a, a regionally um, important crop in that region, especially from Southwest and down into Mexico and in those regions, and so. Um, but, you know, you find it in, you know, mixed drinks and jellies and jams and, you know, different types of drinks. And so we, uh, yeah, we like it down there in, in Texas. But I also just find it interesting. So. <laughs> well,
0: thank you, Andrew, yeah, for sitting down with
1: me. Of course. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: For more coverage of this year's NAPB meeting, visit seedworld.com slash NAPB 2022. Have a great day.